Section forty one of Memoirs of Miss Sidney Biddulph. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Memoirs of Miss Sidney Biddulph by Francis Sheridan. Volume three continued. April the first. What true delight springs from benevolent actions, my dear! I never experienced such heartfelt satisfaction as I have received from restoring comfort to these truly deserving people. I have bought the young lady some new clothes, plain but genteel, and you cannot imagine what a pretty creature she is now she is dressed. I find the old gentleman a man of admirable understanding and great reading. He has a simplicity in his manner which is truly engaging, but at the same time a politeness that shows he is no stranger to the great world. Of his integrity he has given convincing proofs. Praised be the Lord who has made me and honest Mr. Warner the instruments of delivering such a man from the depths of affliction. He mends apace in his health, but I am afraid he will never recover the use of his hand, though as it is not painful it seems not to give him any uneasiness. April the 10th I am infinitely charmed with the conversation of this couple, for the girl is very sensible and prettily accomplished. I wish she were married to some honest man that knew her value, for I find she has still terrors on Mr. Ware's account, nor is her father without his apprehensions. He said to me to-day, if I were to die, madam, I would conjure you, as my last request, to take my daughter into your service. With such a pattern before her she must be virtuous, and with such a protector I am sure she would be safe. I told him he might rely on me, but that I hoped he would live long enough to see her happily disposed of in marriage. If I could see that day, said he, I should then have no other worldly care to disturb me. Here, my dearest Cecilia, I will close my very long narrative. The packet is already swelled to an enormous size, but you never think them too large. May the 14th After so many trifles, my dear, as my journal for nearly a month past contained, you will be glad of something a little more serious. I mentioned in my last week's journal that I had cast my eyes on a young man, who I thought would make a suitable match for Miss Price, if he were approved of by her and her father. This person is a linen draper in the Strand, a second brother of my Patty's. You can't have forgotten Harry Maine, my dear, whom we both knew when a boy, remarkable for his sober behaviour, modesty, and sweetness of temper. He is just now out of his time, and his eldest brother has set him up in a handsome shop. You may be sure I am his customer. Tis on this lad that I have turned my thoughts as a fit husband for the amiable girl. I went yesterday morning to buy some linen for Miss Price, and carried her with me, as I had done once or twice before. After we had made our markets, I told young Maine, with a freedom which a long acquaintance gave me, that I thought he was so well settled he wanted nothing but a good wife to complete his happiness. He replied he should think himself very happy if he could light on some good young woman as a partner for life. "'Why do you not look out for one?' said I. "'They are not so hard to be come at.' 
"'I believe, madam,' he answered, "'I must get someone else to do it for me. "'My friends laugh at me and say I am too bashful to speak for myself. "'But I fancy were I to meet with a person that really touched my heart, "'I should make a shift to find courage enough to tell her so.' and have you never yet seen such a person said i he blushed and by an involuntary motion of his eyes turned on miss price of whom i concluded his sister patty as she often visits him had given him the history he said if i commanded him to tell his secret i should know it another time this was enough i asked in a jocose way would he take a wife of my choosing sooner than of anybody's in the world madam he replied we took our leave and i asked patty when i went home whether she had ever mentioned anything about miss price to her brother poor patty coloured for fear she had committed a fault but owned directly she had told him every circumstance of her story her brother having been very inquisitive about her from the first time he had seen her with me and added that she believed he was downright in love with her. I told her if Miss Price liked her brother, and her father did not disapprove of the match, I saw no reason why they might not make each other happy, as I should give Miss Price a fortune worth the young man's acceptance. Patty said she was sure her brother would rejoice at the offer, and that she herself could not wish him to make a better choice it only remained now to know how the young lady herself stood affected towards him i put patty for whom miss price had conceived a great affection upon this task i thought she would speak her mind with less reserve to her as i feared the obligation she thought herself under to me might have such an influence on her gratitude as to prevent that freedom which i wished her to use for I was resolved not to put the least shadow of constraint on her inclinations. Patty succeeded so well that without seeming to have any design in it, she drew a confession from Miss Price very much in her brother's favour. Being now sure that the young people liked each other, I thought I might open my design to the old gentleman, which I did in a few words how the good man was delighted with the happy prospect which his deservedly beloved daughter had before her he has left the affair entirely to me so that i hope to have the girl disposed of very much to all our satisfaction may the eighteenth i am charmed with mr warner's noble behaviour i claim an interest said he in these honest creatures that you have taken under your protection i like the old fellow mightily and admire the little girl so much that if you had not provided a better husband for her i should have been half tempted to have taken her myself but since it is as it is we must do handsomely by her i told him i had inquired into the young man's circumstances and found that about a thousand pounds would set him forward extremely well and that this was the portion i intended to give him with the young gentlewoman well said he i believe that will do but i must make the poor thing a present myself for wedding trinkets and the old man too must we not take care of him dear sir said i how good you are 
you would remind me of my duty if i myself were forgetful of it but i have already settled a hundred pounds a year on him is that enough said he will it make the good fellow easy oh sir it exceeds his wishes he intends to live with his daughter as his growing infirmities require her tender care everything is to be this day settled mr price is exceedingly pleased with his son-in-law elect and the wedding will be no longer delayed than till mr mayne receives the answers to those letters which he has wrote to his friends in the country to apprise them of his approaching marriage may the twenty sixth i am sure my dear cecilia will rejoice with her friend in the acquisition she has received to her own happiness by conferring so much on a worthy family the bride is this day gone home to her new house her delighted father with her their prayers and blessings poured out from truly grateful and virtuous hearts remain with me a reward my dear and a rich one too for the self-satisfying part i have acted my worthy patty whose merit alone raises her much above her station i shall no longer consider as my servant she has been my friend in the tenderest and most enlarged sense of the word and she shall continue so i have hired another maid to wait on me and with a sort of merry ceremony enfranchised patty on the day of her brother's marriage for i had her dressed elegantly as bridesmaid to her new sister and she sat on her right hand at the wedding dinner i look on her as my companion but i cannot persuade her to forget that i was her mistress she shows this by her actions not by words here follows an interval of thirteen months in which nothing material to the thread of the story occurs the journal contains only a continued series of such actions as showed the noble and pious use which mrs arnold made of the great fortune which providence had blessed her with the rest is filled up with a variety of little incidents many of them relative to her brother and his lady to mr warner and several letters from lady v with whom she constantly corresponded at the end of that period the journal proceeds thus june the twenty eighth and shall i really be so blessed my ever beloved cecilia as to see you at the time you mention oh my dear after an absence of five long years how my heart bounds with joy at your approach the two months that are to intervene before we meet will appear very tedious to me but it is always so with happiness that is within our view before i expected you though i regretted your absence yet did i patiently acquiesce under it and could entertain my thoughts with other objects but i am now i cannot tell you how anxious and impatient to see you and yet my cecilia we shall have nothing new to say to each other knowing as we both do every circumstance of each other's life since we parted mine has been a strange one but my lot is now fallen on a fair ground where i hope it will please heaven to continue me while i am to remain in this world the noble i may almost call it princely fortune that my kinsman has settled on me will enable me to leave my children greatly provided for whenever it shall be god's pleasure to take me away let me but live to embrace my cecilia 
and then providence thy will be done june the twenty ninth gracious god for what am i yet reserved my trembling hand can scarce hold my pen but i will try to tell you the event which yesterday produced i was but just set down to dinner nobody with me but patty and my children a note was brought in to me which they said came by a porter who waited for an answer i opened and read it my eyes were struck with the unlooked-for name of orlando falkland at the bottom the contents filled me with terror and surprise i know not what i have done with the note but he informed me in it that he was just arrived in town and begged i would appoint an hour that evening to see him alone adding that his arrival was and must be a secret to everybody but me troubled and shocked as i was i returned for answer by the same messenger that i should expect him at six o'clock i need not tell you how i passed the interval till that hour it was impossible for me amidst a thousand conjectures to form one which could probably occasion this amazing visit so strangely introduced so unthought of and from one i imagined to be in another kingdom precisely at six o'clock i heard a coach stop at the door patty was in the way to receive him and presently mr falkland himself entered the drawing-room distraction was in his looks i rose to receive him but shook from head to foot and felt the blood forsaking my face he ran to me as if with a design to salute me but started back without making the offer i made a motion to a chair for him and sat down myself for i was not able to stand you are welcome to england sir i am glad to see you scarce knowing what i said i hope your lady is well he looked wildly as if in horror at the question then suddenly catching both my hands he fell on his knees before me his eyes fixed mournfully on my face and it was some time before he could answer i could not speak i burst into tears there was something dreadful in his silence he kissed both my hands but i withdrew them from him sir sir speak i conjure you you shock me to death i see i have said he and i am afraid to proceed you will die at the relation for god's sake sir explain yourself you see a man said he whose life is forfeited to the law my wife is dead and by my hand i don't know whether he said more for i fainted away it seems he did not call for help but by his own endeavours at last brought me to myself and i found him weeping bitterly over me the sound of the last horrid words i had heard him speak still rung in my ears i begged him to explain them that wife said he that woman whom you persuaded me to marry i caught in adultery and i punished the villain that wronged me with death she shared in his fate though without my intending it for this act of justice which the law will deem murder i myself must die and i am come but to take a last look what recompense then can you make the man whom you have brought to misery shame and death his looks and the tone of voice with which he spoke this made my blood run cold and my heart die within me 
I wrung my hands, and redoubling my tears, I do not need your reproaches, said I, to make me the most miserable woman on earth. What recompense indeed can I make you? None, none but to tell you that if you will fly this instant, my fortune shall be at your disposal, and I will take care to supply you in whatever part soever of the world you shall choose for your residence. And can you, after all that is past, said he, persist in such barbarity as to drive me from you? Or are you determined to see me perish here? If that be so, I will soon rid you of this miserable, hated wretch. He drew his sword like a madman, and with a dreadful imprecation which made me shudder, and swore that if I did not that minute promise to bear him company in his flight, he would plunge it into his breast and die before my eyes. Good God, what a scene of horror was this! I catched his arm, fell down on my knees, and was more mad, if possible, than himself. I begged of him to put up his sword, which he did, seeing me almost dead with fear. You know, said he, the means of dying are always in my own power. Take care you do not trifle with me, or plead in excuse for falsifying your promise, that you made it to save me from immediate destruction. I beseeched him to calm himself a little, and to permit me to send for my brother. Sir George, you know, has an entire affection for you, said I. You may trust him with your life and safety. I had forgot him, said he. Poor Bidolf! He will be afflicted when he hears my story. I instantly wrote a line to my brother, requesting to see him immediately. By good fortune he was at home, and came to me directly. In the meantime, as I saw Mr. Falkland's mind was exceedingly disturbed, I endeavoured, by giving him an account of my own situation, to divert his thoughts from the trouble that preyed on them, for I was apprehensive of his relapsing into that same frenzy that had so much terrified me, if I touched on the cause, and therefore chose to defer inquiring into the particulars of his misfortune, till my brother should be present. Sir George was equally astonished with me at the sight of Mr. Falkland. They embraced tenderly. Poor Mr. Falkland wept upon my brother's neck. It was easy to discover he laboured under some extraordinary affliction. My brother looked at me as if for explanation. He seemed to guess at least part of the fatal truth. "'Are you come to England alone, Falkland?' said he. I prevented the reply. "'He is alone,' said I. "'He has a dreadful story to relate to you. "'Mrs. Falkland is dead. "'I dare not ask the manner of her death "'till you were by to calm the transports of your friend.' "'My heart forebodes,' answered my brother, "'addressing himself to Mr. Falkland, "'that the ungrateful woman you married has betrayed you.' "'She did,' replied Mr. Falkland, but I did not mean to stain my hands with her blood, perfidious as she was. Her death be on her own head. Sir George looked astonished. That she is dead, I rejoice, said he. But how, my dear Falkland, were you accessory to it? We were that instant interrupted. Mr. Warner, passing by, called to ask me how I did, and as my brother's chariot stood at the door I could not be denied to him, though I had ordered that nobody should be let in. 
i was called down to him and indeed was not sorry to have an excuse for absenting myself for a while for my spirits were quite overpowered mr warner quickly observed that something extraordinary had happened and as he was already acquainted with the greatest part of mr falkland's history some particulars relative to his wife excepted i made no scruple relying on his prudence and secrecy of telling him the cause of my present distress in which he seemed to take a friendly and even paternal share when he was gone i returned to the room where i had left my brother and his friend they both seemed in extreme agitation they were walking about this is an unfortunate affair said my brother and may be attended with dreadful consequences if falkland does not show more regard to his own safety than he seems inclined to do i have been persuading him to retire to a place which i can provide for him where he may lie concealed for a day or two till he is recovered from the fatigue of his journey for he has travelled night and day for these three days without sleeping sir george looked at me and by a sorrowful sign which he made i apprehended he feared his unhappy friend's head was disturbed for heaven's sake sir said i be advised by my brother who loves you suffer him to conduct you to some place of security when you have had a little repose we will both come to you and concert such measures as shall be best for your safety he snatched my hand sir george is my true friend said he take care that you do not deceive me i find myself giddy for want of rest i am satisfied to be disposed of for to-night how you please but give me your word of honour that i shall see you in the morning you shall indeed sir i replied depend upon it answered sir george i'll bring her to you myself he looked irresolute and as if he knew not what to say then turning to my brother and leaning on his shoulder do dear bidolf carry me to some place where i may lie down for my spirits can hold out no longer come said sir george taking him under the arm my chariot is at the door i will bring you to a house where you may be quiet at home mr falkland riveted his eyes on me as my brother led him out of the room but he did not speak sir george whispered me that he would return again they went into the chariot together and drove away it was ten o'clock before my brother returned he told me he had lodged mr falkland safely at a friend's house in whom he could confide as he did not think his own in case of a search a place of security he said he had seen him in bed and hoped a little sleep would compose his mind which seemed very much disturbed i requested my brother to give me the particulars of that terrible affair which mr falkland had mentioned sir george related to me what follows though mr falkland he said told the story but incoherently mr falkland said he had no reason to be displeased with his wife's conduct for more than a year after their marriage her affection for him seemed lively and sincere and he had made her the most grateful returns it being the study of his life to render her happy her love abated not of its ardour and he had all the reason in the world to imagine himself entirely possessed of her heart whilst mr falkland's house in the country was building 
he had been invited by a neighbouring gentleman who lived at the distance of about three miles from his own place to stay at his house which obliging offer mr falkland had readily accepted as by that means he had daily opportunities of seeing and expediting his own improvements mr bond that was the gentleman's name had a wife and two or three daughters all very agreeable women with whom mrs falkland had by living so much in their family contracted a great intimacy but particularly with the eldest a sprightly fine young woman of about twenty years old they had been three or four months at mr bond's their house which was nothing more than a little lodge was finished and they only waited till it was thoroughly dry to move into it as mr falkland had laid out extensive gardens in the finishing of which he proposed to amuse himself some time for he acknowledged to my brother he was in no haste to return to england during their residence with this gentleman they had made two or three excursions to town on their return from one of these after an absence of about a fortnight they found a visitor at mr bond's his name was smith he was an officer a genteel handsome man and they were given to understand he made his addresses to the eldest daughter of whom he had been an admirer a long time but durst not make his pretensions known to her father till having lately been promoted in the army to the rank of major the young lady's parents admitted his visits to their daughter she had long before then acknowledged to mrs falkland in confidence her attachment to him mr falkland who had learned this secret from his wife was very glad to find that miss bond for whom he had great esteem was likely to have her wishes accomplished as he saw that major smith was treated with distinction by her parents who complimented him with a bed at their house for he generally stayed two or three nights with them every time he paid them a visit as his regiment was then quartered at a town about fifteen miles distant from their house the major without being a man of very shining parts had such talents as made him acceptable to the ladies he sung prettily was lively to extravagance full of agreeable trifling and always in good humour miss bond loved him and as he was considered in the light of a person who would shortly be one of the family mr falkland soon contracted a friendship with him which the major on his part seemed very solicitous to improve the marriage was now agreed on and was only deferred till the young lady's brother should be at an age as he was to join with his father in making a settlement on his sister this desirable event was at the distance of four months but as the lover was in the meantime permitted to enjoy so much of his mistress's conversation he seemed to submit to the delay with patience End of section forty one